Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Dar Williams is a national treasure. She's widely known as a folk singer and songwriter. She leads songwriting retreats, something about which we talk extensively during the course of this conversation. I myself, having recently embarked upon hosting my own first retreat, she is a font of information about that and so many things. She's written a couple of kids' books a while back, more recently a couple of nonfiction books, the most recent of which is called How to Write a Song That Matters. I recently finished it and cannot recommend it highly enough. It's a great book. Useful, I think, probably to songwriters and non-songwriters alike. It's got so much just deep information, um, thoughtful takes on creativity and how we approach decision-making how we treat ourselves in our internal monologues, and how we work with others in a community of songwriters, but just in a community. If I had to sort of point out one through line, one thread that has run throughout her songwriting and prose writing career, I'd say that she tackles the idea of community in a really thoughtful, useful way. Please welcome to Wheels Off the great Dar Williams. Welcome to Wheels Off, Dar Williams. Hello, how are you? I'm terrific. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for being on. For the edification of our listeners, from where are you logging in? Um, Mid-Hudson Valley. So oh. on that but on the east side of the Hudson River. Nice. We're we're not too far apart then. I'm in I'm in on the west side of the Hudson River. Yes, it's great. Both sides. It, it's the best. Um so before I get into any proper questions, I want to say congratulations on How to Write a Song That Matters. It is a triumph of a book. Brava. Thank you so much. I, I, that's a real that's a real boost from you. Thank you. Uh, and you can tell that you've done you know so much work with people and the nuts and bolts of writing songs with people and the things that we get hung up on and the tricks that you've and and your team, it seems like you've got a real community around these songwriting retreats. You guys have have identified so many really useful tricks and tips and methods and and strategies about you know getting just moving it along and getting to a place where you've got a really beautiful song. I thank you. I really, I it was um, we basically you know the, it was that kind of um, paradox of like make a guide that doesn't seem too guidey and um, help people from the beginning to end of the song, but without being really fixed about how to do that, <laughs> about going from start to finish, you know, 
just how we trick ourselves, how we keep ourselves um, listening for what we want to say as it's happening. Um, and my two big rules, um, and I was going to tell you this when when we were going to speak, it are that I have this science, and the science is what sounds pretty, what sounds interesting. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Those are the two ways. So ah. really the whole book is about how do we kind of take whatever we sound pretty and guide it towards saying, you know, at the end of the day, this thing that is the song that, you know, we now think was just meant to be. Yeah. It's so funny that, and I think you do a really good job in the book of acknowledging that whatever rules you can come up with, those rules could also just as easily be broken. And in a lot of ways, there are no rules, except for the two maybe that you just <laughs> right, identified. Right, right. <laughs> my, my big scientific rules. Um, pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it's I and actually, thank you, because you know how it is when people I don't know if you've ever been like in a green room or people are like, listen, man, this is what you got to do to write a song. Oh, no. You know, you got to First of all, you need a space outside your home. You know, like they just have this like, this is the way it's got to be. And it's like, you clearly found something that categorically works for you. But, you know, some people just write in the shower. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just, it's, and listening for what works for you might be my other rule. <laughs> you know, like, listen for whether, and whether this works for you right now. Some people are really scraping financially and songwriting helps them cope. Other people, it makes them, it, it's, it's quite the opposite and it merely makes them feel very blamed for, you know, like, oh, I'm supposed to like scrape by and make a living and also feel creative and live my best life and, and, you know, make time for me. It's like, I, I've had whole stretches where that just can't be the case, you know? So, yeah. yeah. It's funny. One thing to that end that you address in the book that I really appreciated was the idea that uh, I know I grew up with this idea that, to be a, a a real songwriter, you had to maybe struggle with mental health and or addiction issues. And and like for me, I didn't think for years, I didn't think I could write a song if I wasn't whatever, drunk or stoned. And then I got sober eight years ago. And guess what? Oh, my. It might even be easier. It probably is a lot easier. It, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? <laughs> Other people, there was someone I remember Christopher Hitchens, you know, he he uh, he had cancer. And he said, well, you know, and he said, I, I drank and I smoked a lot while I was writing and uh, no apologies. That's what worked for me. You know, so even that it's like, OK, OK, good dude. And so we it really is wide open. But I would say the um, the, you know, the glass of wine to loosen my brain thing didn't is not didn't didn't wear well over time, you know. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's not, uh, or the caffeine, I need caffeine in order to write. Um, okay, maybe I still need a little caffeine. <laughs> but the alcohol thing didn't didn't bear out. I mean, so that I think is one of those specifically, that could be a specific red herring uh, yeah. on this one, uh, just because there's so much in the culture that, that encourages, you know, that. But other people say, you know, well, when you get sober, you, you'll be so creative. And, and it's like creative, maybe, that, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll write a song. Yeah. You know, maybe you'll tap into some of your biorhythms better. Great. But, you know, um, when I was in therapy, my therapist said something like, you know, if you just work this out, the songs will start to pour. And it's like, 
the big thing I realized writing the book was creativity isn't a lake that you go to and you dip in your cup and out comes the song. You might find yourself more open and resilient and saying that cloud looks like a shoe. And, you know, that child reminds me of an elephant or, you know, like sounds like it sounds like an elephant, <laughs> but, you know, great. So you see things more poetically, more creatively, more playfully, maybe it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to just pull a song out of your ass. <laughs> and that's another distinction I try to make to people, you know, this idea that you do things in order to, um suddenly get the songs pouring out the instinct to so write songs perhaps but it's still always going to come down to you know that you know look in the mirror moment of what do i really want to say and that i feel endless empathy for for whatever gets that thing to actually happen and for you, you found a couple of different disciplines um, fruitful with regards to your own creative output. Obviously, 30 years of recorded music, a couple of books now. Um, is there a creative project you're working on at the moment that lights you up? You know, there's two things. I'm working on a young adult novel, and I've actually lost heart uh, on it. And I, it's about a... Um, of a, a canceled woman who goes to to find out to go meet her trolls <laughs> wow like she cuts off all her hair and cut you know and um and goes to to find out who they are and they're delightful confused girls you know and <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I just, I've, I've hit an impasse. I don't, and I don't know why, but some of this is just, you've got to just um, psych yourself back up again. So I'm sort of stalled. Like I'm at a scenic overlook. Like I'm, I'm not stalled <laughs> in a, a terrible self, you know, flagellating place, but I'm sort of pausing. So there's that. And then I'm just working on the songs that I'm writing and um, I've, come to a thing with them where, you know, I describe this silver key where you discover what you want to write. And that's the, you know, you find that hook. So something I'm working on has the line, I have found the sacred mountain. And that's the silver key. So now I open up the cabinet and in it are the files of everything I know about mountains and Buddhism and the environment. And, you know, it's about a person going to the um, seeing mountains in the distance during the pandemic that they never saw because of pollution. And those are the sacred mountains that you're supposed to envision as you meditate, which kind of creates this weird thing. Like, do I go back to my meditation pillow and go to the inner mountain or do I engage more in the world so that we can see that distant actual sacred mountain? And like, you know, but anyway, I got all like the, the file cabinet it's like harry potter it just keeps on getting longer and longer and i have eight songs that keep on going like oh or i could do this so i'm set to record next march and in that case i think a deadline is in order because at some point i gotta say you know find the file star and and let's get this written so um i uh so those are the two things writing songs for my next album which i'm excited <laughs> the two that I have so far and um, and finding the getting through the impasses because, you know, the impasse is often a sign that there's something very special waiting on the other side. You know, I mean, like really often 
the impasse is the sign that that you're onto something very good. I just have to tell myself that, even though I wrote a whole book encouraging other people to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine that at your own retreats, you yourself wind up having time to write songs. That that probably doesn't happen, does it? That No, you know what? It's actually quite specifically. Also, like when I write books, I don't. This is the only time that I'm toggling back and forth. Like, oh, I don't want to write the book. I'll write the song. I don't want to write the song. I'll write the book. Like I, I'm going, but um, uh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, tell me, are you, how are you it's feeling? Exhausted. It's it, you, it, you give so much of yourself in the process of running the the show yeah. and that's, and it's beautiful. I mean, I, 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 I loved it. I can tell you love it just from reading your book. It's incredible. It, it is, it is. And it's, but it's like a, it's a part of yourself. It's a part of oneself. Somebody said, Oh, when I was in my mid forties, you know, I started doing them. And so he said, you're entering into your mountain, your mountain mother phase <laughs> and it's like you know that that the teacher in you that says wow i have actually been doing this for 30 years i um and i can i can say certain things with a certain amount of assuredness about what's the cart and what's the horse you know and you know you're the horse and you guide the cart the industry your weird jealous spouse you <laughs> the miscons, you know, or the perceptions you have about what you need to do. That's the cart, you know, like decide what you want to put in that cart, but, but you are the horse, you know, I know that. So I, I do have certain things where I'm like, no, I'm standing firm and you know what you need. And I know <laughs> what you need because I've been doing this, but a lot of it is also the teaching mode of being very receptive to people's vibes. You know, people come in, that you can tell if you say one thing wrong, they are going to leave the retreat. And, you know, like for some people, but you know that because yeah. you probably have that in you too, Rhett. Like I have that in me. I have the person that if you say the wrong thing on the wrong day, it's the Luke Skywalker Death Star. And <laughs> I'll never write again, you know? <laughs> yeah. So the stakes, you know, we have, so I can't write my own songs during that time because I'm very attuned to what the stakes are for for some people when they come in people who you know barely got on the flight and then almost didn't get on the connecting flight <laughs> yeah retreat. did you did you deal with a lot of that too or, or yeah and i didn't know what to expect but it was yeah it's it's very intense because i think to do what we do you have to really identify strongly with other people's interior lives and um <laughs> and that's a lot it can be a lot but that's always the case, not just when we're in charge of a retreat, <laughs> just every day. Absolutely. And and every day in when in our public lives, you know, the people who come, you know, I come out and say hi after the shows. And um, and a lot of I mean, I wrote a whole book about community planning, and it was very much inspired by things that people would say. And they're like, oh, I guess you don't really want to hear about how I, you know, started a lettuce festival. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I really do want to hear yeah. about that. And and actually, it's kind of like, how do I configure my face in such a way that they really believe that this is like, I, this is what I do. And I really am interested in how you work in your interior. What you just said, like tuning in, you, you're you going to have to tune in with their interior lives. And we do have a lot of experience with that, with ourselves, our band members, um, other musicians and, and our audiences. 
Do you remember a moment when you were a kid where you knew this was it? You were going to be a musician. You were going to make songs. You were going to live a life of creativity. No, because <laughs> no, I knew that's a really. Those are two questions. That's the latter part. A life of creativity. I figured out in high school. I was like the questions that I ask that are interesting to me are creative questions and coming from this family and this life, they will be more important to me than making a lot of money. Like I, I always feel like I'll be able to find stability, um, but it's going to have to be, whether it's, you know, teaching, learning, therapy, and a core combination of the three, um, I will never stop asking the questions about how we find ways to communicate with each other. Like that will always be endlessly interesting to me. How we miss, like I want to be a playwright actually. Yeah. Like how we, how we use our, that, that creaky flawed thing called language. That's also amazing to, you know, build cathedrals and create long lasting relationships or, you know, how we dig, even how we dig ourselves into a hole is interesting to me. So, um, then I got to college and I was like, okay, no more music, dar. It's <laughs> oh. like, you know, you're never going to be a musician. You might be an actress, probably be a playwright. So, you know, take movement classes and take, you know, theater classes and stay away from the music department. Even though we had world famous jazz musicians at Wesleyan and an ethnomusicology department. And so, but I couldn't stay away. And I did do like a big, um, concert of my songs when I was a senior. I remember, you know, in, in the lounge of something. And I was like, okay, now get back to playwriting. But then I moved to Boston and Boston was not a theater town. It was a music town. And that's where, and then that's where I fell in love with all of the boys who played music. And then it was all over because the boys in the theater weren't interested in girls. <laughs> <laughs> And also it was just a tough scene. It was not a, there wasn't a strong local theater scene in Boston at the time. So, so I, off I went to the open mics and discovered what I could put into a song and which is, it's almost like three dimensional, you know, what you can do with a song music. So that was, but yeah, I mean, you must've had that. It sounds like you had that moment where you said music is, is the one. Yeah. But like you, I, you know, I, I thought it was unrealistic and that I really should do prose writing and I still dream. And I'm, I'm so impressed by, you know, how you've sat down and created these books and this is now a part of your creative output. And, you know, so yeah, that's something I um, have done a little bit of and I hope to do more of, but it's all comes from the same place, right? Do you feel like it's all part of the same creative fountain? Yes. I do say when I'm writing books, I'm like, Oh gosh, writing songs is so much easier. It's just right. Like, <laughs> It's just like 50 lines, dark, you know, and then, but what about the, um, <laughs> so, but then when I'm writing um, songs, I'm like, no, 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 a book, you can come in any mood and just sit down and start to write. If your character's in a bad mood, just start in the police where they're in a bad mood. And, you know, you, like, you can get into somebody's head and stay there for a while and not just be like, you know, what rhymes with, you know, what rhymes with poplar, you know? And so that's, um, but that said, you know, Rhett, we can we can take this one off mic later on, uh, you know, it, because <laughs> I was approached in 2000 
by David Levithan, who works for, um, who's a well-known uh, author in its own right. He works for Scholastic Books. And he wrote me a letter and said, we are the Harry Potter people and we are making a new office. We, we are a bit flush right now. Nice. And we are inviting people who have never written books, like photographers, songwriters, visual artists, to write prose. And we want you, and I said, no. And a friend said, if Scholastic invites you to lunch, you go to lunch. I said, you know, I, I just can't. I, I've tried it before. And at lunch, I started to come up with an idea. And then I started to flesh it out. And by the end of the week, I had an idea. And I said, I'd like to write this book. And so I wrote two books for them because they were so kind and helpful to, 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 to solicit that. And then I wrote a green column for... Um, like HuffPost that I took really seriously. Like, I think they were just like wanting me to write, like bring a travel mug, you know, remember to pack your own blah, blah. And, and instead I was like, how does pedal power work? I mean, is that scalable? Like, why don't, why doesn't every gym just work on pedaled electricity, you know? And like, what, <laughs> what about like water turbines that work inside pipes that, that are from the reservoir. So it's just flowing anyway. Like, and then it turned out that those were actually happening and it was fantastic, but I interviewed people and I had to get my shit together and I had to make it 750 words and I edited and that gave me the confidence to write the book about um, urban planning. And then the songwriting book um, almost wrote itself in so far as we were, it will, and you're seeing this, I'm sure even after this week, sort of a step-by-step what works, what doesn't work, what makes a person <laughs> burst into tears and run out of the room, and what and what actually makes them say and, and sit and and write a song and feel good about it, you know. So, um, like that was that. Funny, something came up uh, during my retreat, um, and it's something I ask during the these wheels off conversations. Of which, at this point, I think I've had two hundred and fifty. Of these, and I love it. It's just, it's one of my favorite things to do anymore. Listening to you talk about this stuff, uh, I could do this all day. Um, but during these conversations, I I, I like to ask folks about the the negative inner voices that they confront, and this is something clearly that you talk a lot about in in the in the songwriting book. Um, it's something I brought up when I was talking uh during a workshop with Charles Thompson, better known as Frank Black from the Pixies from your old Boston scene. Um, although they were on the noisier end of it, I would imagine. But but very much a presence and very important. Yeah. Very and um and Charles was so generous. You know, the the folks that putting it on said, get somebody big. And and I was like, well he'll never say yes. And he did. And he was so great and generous. But it was funny at one point I said to him, the question that that I eventually will ask you when I stop going on and on, I said, so when you run into these inner voices that try to keep us from doing the thing we're supposed to do, what strategies have you come up with to get past him? And he goes, I don't know. I don't think I have those. Yeah. And I was like, 250 people I've talked to, not one person doesn't deal with some sort of, you know, internally generated obstacles. And, and, but you? And he's like, yeah, no, I'm fine. Later in the same conversation, he described listening to playback of a song and looking at his bandmates and saying, all this time, we think we're terrible and we think we're awful. And we listen to that. That sounds great. We're actually a good band. And I was like, that's the inner yeah. voice. And then and then later, he, he went on to describe all these different moments where he was wrestling with this inner voice 
so I figured out that his way past the inner voice was by denying its existence and pretending that it was just some, you know, realistic internal voice. <laughs> I thought he said he was going to say he didn't have any strategies. And I was like, sometimes I feel like I don't have a strategy, um, yeah. you know, and um, I, I will say this. I um, it was a kind of a great moment I had where two worlds came together last month i um for so many years anything i was doing there was just this little dog nipping at my feet saying you're supposed to be writing a song you're supposed to be writing a song and then of course as i would be working on a song it was like this song could be i call it boffus better faster stronger and if i ever get a dog i'm going to name the dog boffus just to to make fun of the that the voice and I've realized a few things about that voice. One is that the voice that's all like, take time for yourself, live your best life, stop, you know, unplug from all of those negative voices is the same voice. Like if you listen to it, it's the same voice that goes, achieve more, push yourself, go farther, come on, you can do it, you know, just do it. It's like they're both. I don't know. I don't know. It's like they're twin sisters or something. So it's like, oh, okay, I really have to do this DIY. Like I really have to come up with my own way of looking at stuff. So that was helpful. But something else I, I did, I was like, you know, I have, um, oh, of course, I think someone's just cranked up a leaf blower outside. I can't um, hear it. My, uh, um, uh, at one point I said, you know what, I'm going to stop listening to the little dog. I'm just going to listen to my audiobooks while I'm doing all my housework. And I'm going to, you know, do one thing at a time. A minute takes a minute. If it takes me, you know, five minutes to tie a shoelace, that's how long it takes. I'm not going to judge that I should have done it faster because then I can get back to songwriting or that the world expects something of me, you know, and, and needs this to happen. I'm just going to let that go and just let a minute take a minute and go to my daughter's soccer games and talk with other parents and really get into the whole thing that I wrote about my community book, you know, my, my book about the commons. And it worked. I have to say, like, when I wash the dishes, I wash the dishes. And when I, and I'm, you know, I started meditating a lot more during the, the pandemic. And so I like, if I have negative feelings that come up, I'm like, oh, I'm having a negative feeling. Let's have that feeling instead of just immersing it in something else. And well, I've worked, I'm working on that one, but yeah. so, so, um, so then I thought, but Dar, you know, the, the good thing about the nipping dog is that I was making room for songwriting as I drove, as I stood in line, as I was hanging out. So how can I incorporate that, like constantly kind of working on a little thing, you know, like a little knitting project called a song often because inspiration doesn't come just because I schedule the time that I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm sort of setting myself up for failure if I'm like, okay, I've set aside these 20 minutes for this. So, um, so how maybe I can just try to get myself into a more constant kind of, you know, like, Oh, maybe this is, a, you know, I'm, I'm at the post office. Maybe this is a time to kind of work on that line, this line. So I'm trying to kind of, bring the the constancy of the playful songwriting mind back into my life without turning it into the nipping dog that gives me you know <laughs> bloody ankles and that's a challenge like it's it's working i'm happy to say but it's a thing do so, you uh, yeah we'll see do, 
you find yourself laying in bed trying to fall asleep, reworking lines? <laughs> um, I, I find myself trying to get to sleep thinking of all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd love to say I was just a song. It's just so much more oh, than that. Like last night, I was like, what did I do to my shoulder? I've been really working <laughs> on this thrift sale. Like I've really gotten deep in my community. I, it's an honor. Like I couldn't even have a house plan for 20 years. And now I'm like a big member of the community and I can't really stop that. <laughs> so like I worked at this thrift sale and I, you know, so it's like an hour of, did I throw my shoulder out again? Oh God. Cause if that happened, I might need an operation. I mean, that's what the doctor said. And I might, you know, like, oh. <laughs> so, um, it, it just, it's, um, yeah, I'm a bit of a, a ruminator. I know it's, we take the good with the bad. It's part of what it gives you yeah, your yeah, superpower. Yeah. I'm a cut chewer. It's okay. <laughs> um, so I wonder finally, if you would be willing to try and, um distill some of this wisdom and imagine a 21 year old version of yourself in today's world and if you were to run into yourself what what advice might you give yourself um i have you probably are the same i've had to get out there and do some of that um i mean i've been asked um uh i say very specific things to kids one is um if if you really want to do this i would recommend going to a place with a scene because i learned that in boston boston i went for the theater scene and there wasn't finally it was pointed out to me that boston hire does theater out of um academia or out of new york city like it either imports or it's harvard you know and um and so and the, the local scene was really very splintered and getting it together and very negative press happened there. Boston, Scott Aller, there are all these writers and radio stations that were boosting what we were doing, you know, and they were like, so Scott Aller like said, you know, Dar Williams is pretty green, but I'd like to see what she's doing in two years. And I'm really rooting for her. I think that there's really something there. She's not there yet. And so I tell people to go to Boston, Minneapolis, um uh you know possibly um nashville but like the the real songwriter part of nashville um new york city's hard it, it's yeah. really struggling and people have said that there's some great open mics but very rare um it's just all very competitive space but you know hoboken had something going on just listen for where there's warmth uh chicago has some great stuff going on um and um and listen to where there's not something where you go to the next thing. I mean, Boston, we all had each other. We were competitive. We gave each other really bad advice. We, you know, people told me to quit. People told me I had a crappy guitar. People told me they couldn't hear me. So I worked on my diction. I got a new guitar and I didn't quit. You know, like <laughs> um, I slept with some of them. Some of them I didn't, you know, like we, it, every, there was all sorts of feelings were hurt. Songs were written about, about art feelings and everyone knew who it was about. I was sitting with two friends and a, a songwriting duo came in, these two girls, these two young women, and those two men married those two women. And I was there when those women walked <laughs> into the bar and they were backlit with like 80s hair because it was early 90s. And they still fell in love with them on the spot. You know, so, so much magic happens in the scene when you learn who you are and you 
learn where the passion is and you have an audience that helps you grow and doesn't just tell you what your songs have to be. You you feel it. As Peter Mulvey said, it accrues. You get a sense of what is working out there. So find the scene is is one thing. And um and then, you know, find a way to be selective about what kind of feedback that you get and really be honest with yourself about people's competitiveness and and your own um and so that that i recommend um i think that's kind of it and also do not make money the the indicator of your success because the streaming economy really i mean i sold 10 cds you know when i came out with the honesty room it was my first cd i sold 10 cds and that was $150 and it got me to my next gig, you know, and it paid for the gas and it gave me encouragement. It just doesn't happen that way. You don't sell CDs. So you don't have $150 in your pocket to get from Burlington, Vermont to Portsmouth, New Hampshire anymore. And so that starting thing is just really tough. And even being in a band, Rhett, I mean, you know, van breaks down and that's the it for the the band, unless, you know, you all have jobs and you're putting something into it for a long time. Um, and um, so I, and I'll tell you one other thing I tell kids, because I do think this is helpful. If you're going to perform something and put it on, put it, put, put something on that's related to, like, I keep on meaning to do my song after all about clinical depression on uh, mental health awareness day, because I want to, I want to, you know, talk about the phenomenon, but it's also a way for people, if you're just starting out to, um, you know, relate to the phenomenon and then find you through that. So, um, you know, you write a patriotic song, you write it on, on, send it on July 4th and hopefully isn't a patriotic song about how to hate the government and, um, and people, you know, find you through the, the thing um, not just like, hi, I'm Dar. Hi, I'm Dar. Listen to me. <laughs> and I think that's a bit of a help. Well, that's a, that's a positive spin on the kind of tricking the algorithm that I feel like so many young performers are forced into now. That's their job is oh, to trick an yeah, algorithm. Yeah, yeah, that's so soul sucking. I mean, that's, but at the same time, you know, we've been to like, I've been to folk alliances and stuff and people are like, this is sucking my soul out. And I'm like, you know, it's a bunch of, people who you know are walking around in their socks it doesn't smell awesome but it's like there's there's plenty of love but these are people who are deciding if they're going to be able to make a living at this or not you know the stakes are high and it's kind of i mean sure you're you have to kind of you know shake it for for the these booking people and these radio people and they feel overwhelmed and you know you're trying to show them that you feel passionate about this, but you're also trying to sell yourself and you're doing a bad job because you're a folk singer. You know? <laughs> and so you look <laughs> kind of mercenary and weird, like just, you know, we're, give, give yourself a break. Let's give ourselves a break. We are both into this and highly in a very highly competitive moment right now. But the algorithm thing, what's creepy is that there's a lot of corruption out there. A lot of mm -hmm. people who used to make money before the streaming economy are kind of out in the world, producers, engineers, coaches, all of that rainforest around, you know, singer. And they're going out and finding teenagers and saying like, I, I know how to trick the algorithm and they're exploitative. 
and I think sometimes abusive and, um, you know, and also just a waste of space. And there's a lot of, you know, you just have to give me more money and then it's going to kick in. And there's a lot of um, exploitation out there by members of our larger community who kind of went adrift um, during the streaming thing. And instead of finding something different, they just tried to squeeze more out of the, of the kids who are very starry eyed, starry eyed. Yeah. Do, where do you stand on when kids ask you about should they sign a management contract, like the actual piece of paper type contract situation that gets them locked into something? Um, it's uh, it's so difficult because you're, you know, um, you don't have any money and, you know, possibly you're surrounded by people who are either like really, um, really have misconceptions about the music business or don't know anything about the music business or aren't supportive, you know, so it's a difficult time when somebody is very seductive, very supportive and they, you know, and um, I don't, I guess I do have a contract with my manager, but I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> like the ones, the one entity that really pushed me to write a, to sign I mean, no, my first, my first people, it was definitely signing their work, their reputations preceded them. Um, and that helped. They were, they said certain things that helped me understand that they saw me in a very specific way. Um, and they also signaled that there was kind of an awareness of like the working musician, as opposed to the um, making you a star thing. Like Charlie and Carol, my first manager, said, we want to create an indestructible career, which means that you can tour till the rest of, for the rest of your life. If that means getting very famous, you know, that's that's a thing. But um, it's really so you can build a durable career. And I was so afraid of feeling humiliated for wanting more. I mean, maybe that was just me. But, you know, like, I'll want too much. And then that's the monkey's paw. And I'm like, I'll get it. But then it will you know, turn upside down because I was greedy, you know. So I liked the, <laughs> the like, we're not saying we're going to make you a star. We're going to say we can get you work and we're going to help that work happen. I think that message was really correct and helpful and created a trust, trustful relationship. But I also am of that, you know, all you want need to know about the music business book that says often your first manager is your best friend. Yeah. John Lindau was was Bruce Coburn's, I mean, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen's buddy, right? And mm -hmm. and was like, let's throw it at the wall. One of my best friends in the world right now, Patty Romanoff, is my manager. And I begged her for years because she did my merch and she manages the Neils and everything. And I was like, I know you can't. I need a new manager and I know you can't. She goes, oh, good time in my life. Let's do it. And we've been working for five years now. Friends are great. A friend who says weird things like, you know, oh, you famous people who are so forgetful and stupid and you can't tie your own shoelace because you're music. You know, like, don't don't work with that friend. Like, yeah. I'll organize you because you're an idiot. Like, don't work with that friend. But the one who really, like, sells your merch and tells everybody that you're great and, and they're so excited for you and wants to drive you around, you can give them 15% and, like, build something together. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think this is, oh my God, I feel like I, I could talk to you all day. Your take on this is so useful and the way that you talk about it is so generous. And I encourage anybody 
beyond even just songwriters. I feel like there's so much in the and uh, how to write a song that matters that would resonate with anyone in you know any creative endeavor. I recommend it that as a great book to read. And I just think I think the world of you. Thank you so much for showing up and doing this. Thank you, and thank you for doing you know both the old ninety sevens and your solo work are great. And I just want to tell the audience something else, which is that you know I have a whole thing about um, whether. When you walk into a space, you feel like it's a palms open space or a fists clenched space in terms of communities that, you know, you can tell, right? Like a certain club or a town, you just sense everyone like just locks their doors and looks over their shoulder or like they kind of have a generosity of spirit. Every, you and I have done a lot of different kinds of like fundraisers and group events and things. Every time you've walked into a group, you're hands are open like everybody knows you everybody loves you i don't want to embarrass you but it's like you your energy has always been open palms we're here to do something and and you have just been a very i'm not surprised that you're doing a songwriting retreat right now because you've really brought very uh open energy into these like songwriting things that it's so important for us to kind of find each other and and keep our keep each other going so um you know thank you for being that person uh you know for for 25 years that i've that i've known you uh well you made me blush thank you here's to <laughs> here's to more i hope our paths cross soon in real life thank you so much dar thank you all right thank you so much for listening to wheels off please be sure to rate and review the show on itunes That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.